Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. Very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And a very good morning in Alberta, Canada, where we're going back to talk to Dr. Dauda Sise, who's a research fellow at the China Institute at the University of Alberta, again in Edmonton, Canada. A very, very good morning to you, Dr. Sise. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's wonderful to have you back. Well, the reason why we called you back on the show, we've had you a couple times, and every time it's been enjoyable. But now, in July, you had a, a chapter of a book that, was, that came out in South Africa uh, called China's Economic Transformation, What Lessons Can Africa Learn? And this is a very interesting topic, in part in the wake of President US, uh, U.S. President Barack Obama's recent visit to, to Africa, to Kenya and Ethiopia, where a lot of people were talking about the difference between the China model and the U.S. model of economic development. And uh, and so this question of what can Africa learn from China, I have to be honest with you, you know, as somebody who studied Chinese economic history for the past 30 years, I'm a little bit skeptical that the Chinese economic model or even portions of it can be exported in the way that you suggest in your paper and that others have also suggested. Go ahead and make your case for what lessons you think uh, Africa can learn about China and their economic transformation. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, the Chinese economic development these past decades, uh, you know, has been seen as a positive uh, model of economic growth, not only from the African countries' side, but also, I will say, the entire world. Uh, before China opens up, almost no country was interested in China because the country was closed and, uh, you know, governments saw that, you know, this was a back, uh, kind of a backward country. And since the reforms, uh, almost every country or every government today deals with China. And they've seen that the economic uh, development or economic growth can be learned uh, not only in Africa, but also elsewhere in the world. Uh, but then... There is here a question of uh, implementing such model in other uh, places in the world. Uh, I think there is there is no such aspect of of taking the entire Chinese economic model to replicate it in African countries. What African countries can do, they can learn from some successes of China's economic uh, development or economic growth. Uh, at the same time, we're talking about China's economic success here. We know that there are still challenges that you know, uh, China faces, and those challenges uh, go from economic aspects to socio-political aspects to environmental aspects. Uh, you know, the Chinese—I uh, mean, the Chinese model of economic development uh, can be learned by African governments through certain ways. Uh, for instance, I have mentioned in the chapter that uh, you know, African governments need very strong institutions uh, in order to in order to implement uh, the different policies, but also in order to have uh, coordination between those, those different institutions. Uh, that's one aspect. The other aspect is uh, decision-making, for instance. Uh, every aspect of, of China's structural uh, change uh, went through those different institutions, and there was a collaboration and coordination between different ministries, different uh, state uh, uh, bureaus. So. Uh, uh, for the case of Africa, I think uh, 
uh, African governments can also can also learn about uh, putting in place uh, timely framed plans, for instance, that will enable them to at least assess uh, different programs that they have put in place to see uh, if if certain aspects of, of, of those programs work or did not work and how to go to the next uh, step of the economic growth. Uh, another aspect probably that, that, that they can learn is uh, how to develop, for instance, the private sector. Because in the Chinese case, uh, we've seen that, you know, Chinese have managed to develop a private, uh, I mean, the private sector, uh, whereby they, 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 they moved from, from at least uh, the big state-owned companies to have uh, more private companies. And today, the private companies in China play a bigger role in China's economic development compared to the state-owned companies. They hire more people, they pay more taxes, and they venture overseas uh, more. But but everything that you have said, and Kobus, I'd like to get your take on this as well, uh, it's not unique to China. That's a classic development model that, you know, lots of developing countries have pursued, which is, you know, better institutions, better governance, you know, developing the private sector, less state subsidies. Um, what is unique about China that is that you think can be applied to the African economic model? Well, the uniqueness, the uniqueness of China here is that everything, well, and probably you will also say the same thing again, that, well, everything is, is, is going through, uh, you know, through decisions taken, uh, by a government, you know, uh, because I mentioned I mentioned the political dynamics, for instance, and the economic dynamics that 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 that, that, that contributes to you know that contribute to China's economic development, but also to China's uh, overseas foreign direct investments. Uh, the state plays a very important role in Chinese companies' activities, not only within China but also overseas, because uh, they have put in place uh, state political and financial. Uh, departments which support uh, such economic uh, development. But another thing that we have to take into account is that the government relies, I mean, the Chinese government relies on the economic interests of those companies, uh, you know, which venture overseas, but also contribute heavily in the uh, domestic political economy of the country. I mean, I suppose one issue lies in the difference between the lessons we would like African governments to take from China and the lessons African governments are actually taking from China. Um, you know, so a, a, a very senior um, South African official recently traveled to China and he said, he came back saying, it's so amazing in China how they have all these opposition parties, but they all work together with the Central Communist Party in order to strengthen the political system, which, you know, is, a, is, a, is one way of reading how that system works. Um, and, and an interesting one to, you know, for, for a South African official to take. To which extent do you feel that African governments are really looking at China, or like they're, they're taking good lessons from China, to which extent are they taking worrisome lessons from China? Well, I think when we look at politics, uh, I'm I'm not very convinced that African governments uh, follow you know the China's political I mean uh, follow the Chinese political model. Uh, you know African countries have been exposed to democracy earlier than the Chinese and well and plus the Chinese are not even in that in that in that situation. So but I know that there 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 are some political ties existing there because uh, you know we have the uh, Chinese Communist Party. Uh, you know, uh, delegations visiting African African countries or African governments, and 
South African governments, and particularly the South African, the South African government, for instance, as you mentioned, is 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 having very close ties with the uh, with the uh, Chinese Communist Party because they even plan, I mean the Chinese Communist Party is even planning to to have a party school or party to party relationship with the uh, South African Communist Party, and I think the ANC is also close to uh, to that program. So uh, politically, I think uh, there is not much to learn from you know from the Chinese case because we're having different political systems here. Uh, but then what I see or what I've seen so far is that the Chinese economic development, uh, you know, to, to many to many African governments or to many African officials uh, is something positive. But I'm not saying that they or I mean, they are entirely copying or wanting to copy the exact model because the Chinese model or the lessons, at least the lessons that the African governments can learn from the Chinese economic success uh, should only be. Uh, applicable in the African context, but here's you know, where, and I think that will, and I think that will make sense to to that because the uh, you know the environment and the context where those those models can be applied, you know, can be very different uh, because you know, and plus in Africa we have different we have different political systems as well. We have dictatorships, we have democracies, you know, and so forth and so on. So I think each country each country can 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 only uh, use. You know the successes of of Chinese economic development uh, into its own context. But be, this, be, the, politi- be the, it political, or this is where or, I get frustrated with this conversation that we've had in a number of times over the years. That you, people will say, like what you're suggesting. Well, we only want the economics; we don't want the politics because our political systems are unique and distinct from what China has. The problem is, though, is that. You, in China, you cannot separate politics from economics. Those are, right. those are, those are one and the same. You could not have had China's economic success absent the role of the Chinese Communist Party and the yeah, role that the state played in the – and so I feel like we go off into – and this is a little bit going back to Kobus's question. We go off into, into, into la-la land when we're saying, well, we just want to extract the economic reforms that China did, but those can't be extracted from the politics. And yet at the same time, when you say – um, that you know, Africa has different political systems than China. I don't know. I mean, I look at what's going on with Paul Kagame in Rwanda, and it looks a whole lot like what's going on in China. Um, I look at what's happening in Ethiopia, and that there's a lot of similarities there. Obviously, the ANC is trying to emulate many of the both political and economic influences of the Chinese. So I'm not so sure that people would agree with you across the continent that the political systems are that different in many senses. Yeah, I think I think I made that point earlier. That's why I said, uh, you know, each country has its own political economic system or context, whereby that will only determine how to use the successes of China's economic development. We're talking about 54 countries here. So the countries that you earlier mentioned, uh, like Ethiopia, Rwanda, of course, uh, you can see that they're, they're, they're kind of implementing this, uh, I mean, the so-called state developmental uh, model. That 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 has been China's China's economic uh, model itself. So it's like a very a kind of authoritarian government, uh, you know, uh, having or at least having footprint in all activities, economic activities that the country or different uh, different institutions are trying to implement here. So in the case of Rwanda, we've seen that. In the case of Ethiopia, that's what we've seen so far. But at the same time. Uh, you know that can that can I mean that shows that there is no there is no divide between between the politics and the economics, 
but then at the same time it comes with it comes with uh, it comes with uh, so many challenges you know we're talking about here governments whereby uh, you know uh, people i mean the citizens of those countries uh, you know uh, when you talk to them they're having different different uh, ideas or opinions towards their governments in ethiopia for instance when i talk to ethiopian friends uh, you know around the world it's always okay uh, our government is now copying the chinese model be it politically or economically and they're kind of frustrated to see that you know there is more repression there is lack of uh, freedom of speech uh, and what what those governments want is economic development at all costs which doesn't take into account the socio-economic uh, uh, problems which doesn't take into account uh, you know the livelihoods of 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 the of the poor in the rural areas so forth and so on you know kind of but in, in, to a certain extent i think this actually then opens uh you know kind of a slightly more fruitful kind of field of discussion because if you then focus on african countries that have tendencies to that lie in the direction of China. So, for example, you know, tendencies towards authoritarianism, tendencies towards central planning. Um, then you can start unpicking, so what should they then, within that kind of context, if they're, if they're leaning in that direction anyway, like how should they then maximize development? Um, and it's what's interesting, I mean, one of, the, one of the, the paradoxes of Chinese development for me is that within this very strict, very austere sometimes quite drab socialist kind of authoritarian model they managed to develop this incredibly r rampant and and you know kind of very very kind of fast growing capitalism that also grew into consumer capitalism so i mean you know it it, it seems that there's a, there's a you know i'm not articulating this well but there's some kind of different relationship between capitalism and the state and the individual in china that managed to kind of spark this particular kind of economic development that we're not seeing necessarily or not seeing yet in a place like rwanda or ethiopia Yes, i uh, i think having having a central planning system is one aspect of uh, of the economic development that uh, China has or has managed compared to uh, compared to other countries, compared to many almost African countries, uh, we've seen the central planning aspect in in Rwanda, uh, in Ethiopia. Yes, but at the same time, as you mentioned, I think uh, there should be an integrated economic uh, system or economic model. Like integrated here, I mean. I mean, by integrated here, I mean uh, not only following economic development at all costs, because that's what we've seen in the Chinese case, at all costs, meaning that, okay, you only uh, want to focus on macro macroeconomic development, and then uh, people are still in poverty, uh, you know, there is air pollution all over, uh, and so forth and so on. So I think a correct or a positive economic economic development uh, or economic success should take into account all those aspects, not only macro macroeconomic development, but also uh, environmental challenges, socio-economic uh, challenges, uh, political challenges, and so forth and so on. And in the in the context of Africa, for instance, or some African countries, what you've seen so far, even if there is a central planning system, uh, what happens is that uh, you know governments or different governments did not manage to to. To diversify the economy, to take into account uh, populations' uh, needs, let's say for education, for health, uh, you know, and so forth and so on. We're having governance issues uh, in many African countries. 
So, but you know, kind of in, sorry to interrupt you, but I wonder if there, if you know, I, I sometimes find this a, a feel a slight frustration with that that kind of way of putting it, because if frequently, you know, kind of the the that articulation seems to to indicate that or to imply that certain African governments trying to do that, trying to, to have better governance and better kind of like more people-centered education and failed at it, or simply, you know, kind of that, that this, in some kind of way that that option wasn't open to them, rather than was because of certain hegemonies in those societies, they chose on purpose not to do that. You know, kind of that, I think that, you know, there seems to me in certain African countries, and, you know, kind of, I'm not an area studies kind of expert about, you know, about particular African societies, but it seems to me in certain African societies they were there's a certain level of engineered underdevelopment that happens within within the context of of you know kind of very high commodity trade. Like, you know, I'm thinking of a place like like Angola maybe, you know, but again don't quote me. But you know, kind of so so am I am I what I'm trying to articulate is is it this kind of articulation seems to leave out Kind of uh, certain choices that African governments make themselves. Am I am I wrong? Am I on a completely wrong track there? Yes, I think you are you are somewhat right about it because if you if we go back to what you mentioned about you know commodity to trade, for instance, whereby many countries, let's say the resource rich countries, for instance, do not manage to diversify you know their economies. Uh, which is or, or which are heavily based on uh, resources exports, uh, they did not manage to diversify the economy. Like let's say developing the manufacturing sector, developing other sectors of the economy, uh, and, and I think that is that is that is a clear lack of vision. The clear, I mean, the lack of vision of of of, of many African governments or African officials uh, towards moving from uh, one aspect of the economy to you know uh, to the other. Uh, has been has been has been a big challenge, uh, you know, in 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 enabling them to to develop. And another aspect is we have also this lack of uh, distribution of wealth. Uh, all all the revenues made out of out of uh, those resources export, you know, go into uh, bank accounts of, of 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 different officials, and so forth and so on. So. Those are those are aspects that, or those are issues that uh, probably hold some countries back. Uh, you know, we're talking about Angola, for instance, which is heavily rich in uh, in uh, natural resources, but uh, people, you know, still live in extreme poverty. So and I think vision is very important, and I think that's what uh, many Southeast Asian countries manage to manage to manage to, or at least had or managed to use. In order to, in order to, you know, to put the economies forward, and of course, well, I'm not saying that they are, they are good examples, because still most of them, you know, face challenges, but at least, you know, the officials or the leaders of those countries had a clear vision in terms of moving the country forward. Let me put my idea to you in terms of how I see this, and I'd like to get your your feedback on this. So, you know, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, and my whole life. I've been reading about how the rest of the world wants to copy Silicon Valley. You know, there's Silicon Glen in Ireland, Silicon Beach in Los Angeles, Silicon Alley in New York, and every country wants to create their own Silicon Valley. 
but no one has ever been successful. They've been able to create some technology clusters, but there is something unique about the configuration of the San Francisco Bay Area in terms of the population, the universities that are there, the climate, whatever it is, but it's not been replicable. And I feel that there's something about China that's the same way, that a lot of people go and they study it and they say, okay, I want to bring this back to my country, but it's not replicable. So the idea that I have now is that rather than trying to take the whole model and trying to kind of impose it on your own country, which it doesn't work because as we've talked about different cultures, different histories, different politics, and of course, different economics. But taking slices of what the Chinese have done, look at verticals where they've been very successful. So, for example, when the Communist Party came into power, they were able to educate more girls than any other country has ever been able to do in the history of human of human history. They were able to do to reform ag- the agricultural sector in, in just brilliant ways. They were able to build an infrastructure that no one's been able to, to copy. Uh, I mean, when you see what China's done in the past 30 years on the infrastructure side, it just makes your eyes water with, I mean, just it's overwhelming. So there are, instead of looking at the whole system, we identify what are the most applicable areas of Chinese economic success that are applicable to certain African countries, and other ones will be applicable to others. So, for example, in the north of China, where it's very, very arid, you know, the Chinese have an enormous amount of wealth in terms of knowledge on dealing with desertification and crop failure and managing disease in very, very dry climates. That's an area that would be very applicable to northern Africa. And so I guess I'm wondering, why are we framing the, the conversation in terms of China as a big thing, and rather than, you know, slices of China that might be more manageable to integrate and assimilate into the African system? Yeah, I think, well, that's that's what that's what I mentioned in the chapter, actually, because uh, I'm not saying that, and, and I think many people today agree with that. Uh, at the beginning, people were very keen, uh, you know, uh, very keen of, of the Chinese economic model, economic success. It, it was not only from the African governments. We've seen the World Bank, IMF, uh, OCE, sorry, the OECD countries uh, pushing for other countries to learn from, you know, China's economic development. That was before the 90s, most of the time, before the 90s and in the 90s, and they stopped because they've seen that it was not something something feasible to, to you know, to replicate the entire Chinese model. What I've seen, I mean, what I've mentioned in the chapter, and that would be my idea still, is to take aspects that work in the Chinese economic development model to try to use that in other in other places. Because we're talking about learning here and we can learn successes or learn from failures. Not to repl- uh, I mean not to replicate the same mistakes that the Chinese economy is currently facing. So education basically is one thing that is that is very important and I think first of all that should be the basis of of, of, of of, of moving forward for so many, I mean, for many African countries, uh, because you're talking about, you know, developing something like the Silicon Valley. I think before you before you jump into into IT or whatnot, uh, you should probably first educate your population about about that. Put in place, uh, you know, feasible infrastructure that 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 that, that would that will accompany that uh, that uh, that development. Engineers, uh, and then you link those those infrastructure or at least those industries with educated people to run them, and take it from there. So, uh, as I mentioned, each country 
each country depending on depending on on on, on what their comparative advantages are you know compared to china for instance can 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 take lessons from you know let's say from agriculture in china for instance uh, you know to replicate certain aspect of the agricultural sector in china into 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 their own country uh, education the same thing uh, industrial development the same the same aspect well one thing is we're talking about here 54 countries i i've not visited so many countries in africa and i'm not well I, plus uh, i'm not focusing on so many african countries you know for my uh, uh, for my research here but for instance one thing one thing i can tell you is for instance uh, in the senegalese case maybe uh, the senegalese government can learn from let's say uh, uh, you know the uh, development of the private sector in China. You know, private—I mean, private entrepreneurship is not is not well developed in Senegal. Uh, so, first of all, what they should do is probably to to raise capital that you know that could that could allow uh, people to you know to to run their own businesses. Uh, because the private sector development in China has contributed a lot into into the Chinese economic development today, uh, hiring hiring the biggest part of the population, but also uh, they they you know they're the they're the biggest taxpayers. And when it comes to uh, overseas development, they you know they are at the forefront of 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 that development. So, but at the same time. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, countries countries like Ethiopia, for instance, today, I know that they they they're learning a lot from the Chinese manufacturing sector, for instance, uh, because it's not a resource-rich country, first of all, it's very landlocked. So basically, uh, basically, what the Ethiopian government tried to do or is doing now is to you know to develop the infra sorry the uh, manufacturing sector, uh, capital intensive. But that that probably comes with that. Also, I mean, that also comes with uh, different challenges. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, sorry to jump in here, but like one of the challenges it seems to me is that you know there seems to me in when one discusses the application of Chinese models to Africa, one of the one of the weird kind of mental challenges in all of this is that one tends to fall then into a, this kind of. Uh, way of thinking where that you applying Chinese models to an Africa that, where you, you kind of imagine that China itself kind of doesn't exist, in the sense that you know kind of you know you you mentioned the the need for um, in the chapter as well you mentioned the need for African governments to to develop endogenous um, uh, manufacturing you know kind of and to 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 develop uh, you know can capital in intensive and labor. In Intensive manufacturing that will, you know, for other African markets. So one, the South Africa, you know, kind of producing, uh, you know, small like, or like, you know, kind of everyday use objects for everyday use for the Nigerian market, for example, and like, and then the need to to break down customs barriers and trade barriers and so on to 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 facilitate that trade. But I mean, isn't that to a certain extent made impossible by the very fact that all of this stuff is already being imported much much cheaper from China? And so, is the Ethiopian um, attempt to kind of to 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 kind of to use that model. Is it to, is it a replication of the Chinese model? Or is it actually also essentially trying to draw outsourcing from China, to, hoping that China is going to move on to you know kind of to a higher level in its in, in higher level manufacturing, and that some of that lower level manufacturing will 
will then trickle down to Ethiopia? Like, I mean, do those both work at the same time? Yeah, I think it's 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 both both uh, aspects that we see here. I mean, we see we see in the Ethiopian case and in many African countries' case. Uh, today we're talking about Chinese uh, manufacturing companies moving to Africa, not only Africa but also Southeast Asia, and so forth and so on, just because of the uh, current internal economic situations or reforms that uh, you know the Chinese uh, governments is or the Chinese uh, are facing. So. Uh, one aspect is, uh, you know, that delocalization of the Chinese companies or the Chinese manufacturing companies uh, to various African countries. But we also have, uh, in some countries, a uh, growing entrepreneurship uh, mindset today. Uh, countries like, well, a country like Kenya, for instance, uh, I think is 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 uh, very advanced when it comes to uh, private entrepreneurship. Uh, that's at least one example that I can that I can that I can uh, mention. Uh, so it's it's both ways actually. It's uh, it's both ways. Uh, it's it's the Chinese manufacturing companies coming also uh, local people, you know, trying to trying to develop their own businesses in terms of uh, you know uh, reaching out not only not only through the continent but also elsewhere. The paper and the chapter in the book is China's Economic Transformation, What Lessons Can Africa Learn? Uh, Dauda, where can people read this if they want to? Is it possible? Is it published out there for people to, to buy? Well, yeah, people can buy the book online, I think, uh, because it was published uh, by Real African Publishers in Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, I have not seen it online yet. But I circulated the chapter through the uh, Chinese in Africa, Africans in China network, which okay. is uh, Park. And the chapter is also available on, on, on my, uh, at my institute's website here. And uh, let me just give the name of it just in case people want to search for it. It's The Rise and Decline and Rise of China, Searching for and Organizing Philosophy, again, published by Real African Publishers. Uh, Dauda Sise is a research fellow at the China Institute of University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada. You know, Dauda, thank you so much again for joining us on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys, for having me. And Kobus, if people want to follow what you're reading and writing these days, what's the best way for them to stay in touch with you? You will see me on our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And we aggregate a 24-hour feed of new China Africa news items. And I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And if 24 hours a day of China Africa news is a little too much for you, which it may very well be, uh, Kobus and I also put together a newsletter every week with just about five stories. So that's a little bit more manageable, uh, including a podcast, an academic article, and some of the top headlines of the week, just go over to our website at ChinaAfricaProject.com. You'll see sign-up bars all over the place there, and you can get that. It goes out every Monday uh, to, uh, to, you know, inboxes everywhere. So uh, we'd love for you to join that newsletter. And of course, if you'd like to follow this podcast, best way to do it, head over to iTunes, just type in China Africa. And we would be so grateful if you could leave us a comment, a review, any kind of feedback, because that helps make it easier for other people to discover the show. So we'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.